So good evening, everybody. It's nice to see people's bright, shining faces here. There are a lot of bright, shining faces here, particularly over there, and then a few over here. So I'm going to do my best to sort of talk to both sides. You know, most of my attention will probably be paid over here, so you can contemplate whatever you want to over there. So it's great to see folks here. Um, I'm going to begin with a scripture reading as, as our prayer, but I just want to sort of explain what we're doing, the theme of the mission, and what we're hoping to accomplish. I originally had not planned to bring anyone in for mission speaker this year because of COVID, didn't know exactly what it was going to cost or going to save some money. And then, of course, found out that I was getting reassigned. So I figured, ah, I'll go out with a bang. Now, granted, Father Jacques Philippe, Sister Miriam, Father John Peter Cameron, me. <laughs> At least it's not as low as me and Paul George from 2013. That's way, <laughs> way, way low. But as I was praying, what am I going to do this mission on? What's going to be the topic? And I decided that I'm going to do it on something that we see every time we walk into the church and maybe we don't pay attention. Along the sides of the nave, it's this Latin passage from Scripture, from the book of Proverbs. I'm not going to read the Latin, maybe on the last day I will. But I'm going to begin by reading from the passage in the book of Proverbs. It's Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. I'm going to use this as our opening prayer. Y'all can go to the other side of the church. I don't know if, is that door open over there, V? All right, yeah, go to the other side. It'll give you a reason to, to look at both sides instead of just over here. So let's begin by reading from this passage and sort of explain what I intend to do over the course of the next three nights. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who is without sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave simpleness and live and walk in the way of light. And so what I want to do is take this passage and over the course of the three nights divide up our talks according to what I believe to be sort of the main themes, the three main themes present in this passage. And, and there's going to be a point to these talks. I'm going to try to make something spiritual, but a lot of it is going to be my own experience over the course of the past 11 years, drawing from some hopefully funny stories. I don't necessarily want this to end up being a stand-up routine, even though there's quite a possibility that's what's going to happen. Uh, but also some other touching stories of what I as a priest and as a spiritual father have learned during my time here. And, and so today we're going to start with and focus on the very first phrase. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up her seven pillars. Now, wisdom in scripture, there is a sort of a wisdom literature that is contained in the Old Testament, often written in Greek. And wisdom, sapientiae, or sapientia, is feminine. Wisdom is feminine, personified as a woman. And so it's she who has built her house. We'll talk a little bit about what this house is or what the house might be, but we know. As the book of Psalms says, if the Lord does not build the house in vain, do its builders labor. It's really the Lord's house. It's the house of God. And there are the seven pillars. What does that mean? Well, there are a lot of different themes or theses or ideas. Seven, of course, is a very symbolic number. But probably the best guess is it would be seven pillars set up in a courtyard in front of the house. In the times in Greece and in, in the, uh, Palestine and Christ's days, uh, the more pillars you had in a courtyard meant the bigger and better and nicer your home was. And so we have but seven pillars, very big and elegant 
and beautiful house. And so thinking of this in regards to Our Lady of Wisdom, not too big, not too elegant, falling apart in some places, but still, myself, to all of us here, and to so many generations of Catholics, this house has tremendous meaning for those who have passed through UL. A house of God built by wisdom right in the middle of a secular campus dedicated not to wisdom, but to knowledge. And so yes, wisdom as built her house, the church, the student center, Jean-Marc Hall, is a building, it's a place, built more or less in 1942, this addition here in the 60s. Many may want to know why it is so weird, besides the fact that it was the 60s. <laughs> the, 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 the population had grown so big that Monsignor Segura had wanted to extend it, but figured if we did it like this, or he did it like this, you could fit more people. But also, it ties actually into the Adoration Chapel, which was the baptistry at the first time, and so it's like a womb or, a, or like a conch shell where the life of the church in baptism comes from. Probably very unique design in, the, in churches throughout our diocese in the world. Many things I will miss about wisdom. One will not be the problems with my neck having to go back and forth and preaching to both sides of the church. And so, it means a lot, but as we know, and goodness gracious we know, it is old and to a great degree falling apart. There's washout under the church as a result of a pipe that was busted that ran, runs from Cypress Lake to the street that we found out whenever they were building the new student union. We've got a leaking roof. Over the years, we've had a lot of problems. Many of you may not know this, about four years ago, we had a rat infestation. Over the, it was right when Father Pelsier got here, Father Rene. <laughs> he probably thought it was one of the plagues. He and I killed over 50 rats one summer. It was disgusting. They, they would chew under the door to get into the pantry. We figured out a way to outsmart the rats. We built like little gauntlets and we'd catch them. <laughs> it's a whole, different, a whole different homily. But the thing is, as much as it may be falling apart to a great degree, it has a sense of place. It has character, not like a lot of the, the buildings we see today with a very cookie-cutter design, like a church that looks more like a bowling alley than a house of God. But again, it's the building, but it's more than the building. It is the memories. It's the, 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 the lives that have been touched. The ministry that is happening and has happened here over the years. So many people's lives were altered when they were here. I can't tell you the times I've talked to people who said, Father, I met my spouse here at Our Lady of Wisdom. I've also met a number of people who said, Father, I got turned down by a bunch of girls here at Our Lady of Wisdom too. <laughs> so the good and the bad. And over my time now, in 11 years, there, there, there are things that about wisdom and the structure that I've come to really care about. And some things that maybe many of you may have not noticed. If you ever go to the Adoration Chapel, the keyhole is, right above it, there's a teeny tiny little lamb. How many of you have ever seen that? Okay, that's hours spent in the chapel. Little bitty lamb. I always love that, that tiny detail. I also like right over there in the side altar where there's so many masses, it's the birds are looking like they're eating pizza, pepperoni pizza. It's not pepperoni pizza, it's supposed to be grapes. And then in that back window over there, we have all the different sacraments. You can't really see it. Uh, it's, looks, it's a sacrament of matrimony and it's a pomegranate, but it looks like Audrey Jr. from the Little Shop of Horrors. Remember the, <laughs> the Venus flytrap? Go check it out. I mean, so these little details, the years that I've come to uh, appreciate. But also, the deck, which we refurbished, having cocktails out there during COVID, um, the plaza with Our Lady in the front, so many things that have meant a lot to me, and I'm sure we all have our own, our own things that mean a lot to us. But the real issue is this. It's not the building. 
we know, the building is, buildings go away. What makes wisdom as a church and a parish unique, at least in our diocese, is unlike Our Lady of Fatima or Sacred Heart in Bill Platt or St. Anne's in Mamou, people live here. They live here. 7 a.m., the cafe opens. Students start showing up, and they stay sometimes until 10 or 11 p.m. And again, I live here, right over there. I, I can't get from my office to my house without having to see 10 people. <laughs> sometimes I don't want to talk to anybody. So I'm like, all right, hello, I'm going. But it's, it, it's, it's something that's different. You don't, you don't see that at other parishes. You don't have another parish where father goes at 10 o'clock in his slippers and his croissants, basically, his pajamas and his t-shirt to lock up, and he sees some guys sitting around the cafe. What in the heck are you doing here? <laughs> Most people have not seen their priest in his pajamas. But, but this is... This, thank goodness, but this is what we have here. We have that kind of encounter where the rectory isn't where the priest goes to escape. We have people, meals that are there. We have movie nights, different types of gatherings. Even during COVID, when everything was shut down, people came to wisdom, the church, to people to pray, to hang out, to have a place to be able to go. And so what happens, particularly with students, is I've noticed that it really is not just a building, but it's a home. And students have become so comfortable being here, sometimes too comfortable. I remember my first years here, there were a number of students, two in particular, <laughs> who had a habit of walking around barefoot around the student center. In the cafe, what are you doing? This, they wouldn't wear shoes. Fellas, you've got to put your shoes on. This is not your house. Some of you may remember, back in the cafe, we used to have like fluffy chairs and couches. We ended up getting rid of all those because you'd walk in here and people think that everyone had the African sleeping sickness, that CC flies have been, because people would sleep on the couches in front of everybody. It was like a colony of narcolepse. You know, so we've got to get rid of all that. We're here to study and to pray and not to sleep. This is sort of the level of comfort. Also, some of you may remember that we had a problem with students leaving their garbage everywhere. They leave their trash and their stuff and forget about it in the student center. So I finally got enough of it where I began confiscating things. And if you wanted it back, you had to buy it back from me for at least a dollar. And so I had this big pile from my office, and if by the end of the semester you didn't bring, buy it back, I got to keep it. So I got a nice collection of Yeti mugs, I got some really nice rain jackets, and in fact, a couple of times people left their textbooks that I went and traded in and got about 80 bucks for. <laughs> I have no idea who did it. But they quit doing that a while back. Actually, here's a story many of you may not know. We actually, my second year here, had a student who lived here. This is kind of a sad story. It's a, a young woman from another country who decided to come to school here and literally knew no one, didn't have a place to stay, but was enrolled in school here. And of course, like, come to wisdom, make it your home, just not literally. So one morning I woke up and, and I, I went to the little bathroom over there and I saw a toothbrush and some toothpaste. So who's brushing their teeth over here? And then I went into the kitchen and there'd been somebody cooking stuff in the microwave. Well, come to find out this young woman, this is before we locked put the place down, would sneak in at night and sleep in the upper room. And then she'd come in and just kind of live until I finally said, you need to go find a place to live and kicked her out of the house. Hopefully she found a place to go. Even seminarians. This is the first year. I haven't told this story ever before. Maybe I have. The first year, I'm not, the seminarian will go unnamed. He is a priest now. I had to leave for Christmas and, and, and he, he, he stayed here usually when I was here. I said, this is not your house. I want you to go home and you can use my car, but just don't stay here. So, oh, sure, Father. So I go away for a week, come back. 
And when I go up to my room and I'm leaving to go watch the national championship, he goes into what is now the associate's room and starts packing stuff up. I said, what are you doing? Did, did you not understand that I told you not to stay here? Uh, I did. I said, and so you deliberately disobeyed me. Pack your stuff up, get out. I'm talking to the vocation director. But fortunately, I calmed down. He repented, and he is actually a very good priest now. <laughs> so it's good, though. I mean, I, I've always wanted, we want wisdom to be at home, away from home for students. And so as much as wisdom has built our house, wisdom is not so much a physical building, but it's a, it's a home, a home for so many people. So what is a home? What is a home? It's a place of belonging, of safety and refuge, where, where you can be seen, known, and loved. A place of welcoming for others, friends and family, a place of communion and love. But it's a place that is animated, ideally, by the love of a family. So you can say that a home turns people into a family, and a family turns a place into a home. So we have a really big family here, even extended family at Our Lady of Wisdom, students, parishioners, benefactors, uh, alumni who come back here, who don't just see this as like a normal parish, where you show up for one week, you listen to Father talk, hopefully for less than 10 minutes, and then you leave. And then maybe you drop your kids off for catechism, but you don't come. You don't have coffee. You don't live and study from 7 o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night. And so it's so unique and different because the fact that wisdom as a student center is so unique, it, it sort of leads the people here to become part of a family in a way that I don't think you'll ever see in another parish in our diocese. And I, I realize I am living in the matrix. This is not reality. I want to go to another parish. It's like when Neo gets unhooked and he realizes he's living in sort of a dungeon. People here love each other. They are a family. We know each other. We're connected for generations who tend to come back and it's such a blessing. Particularly the relationship that over the course of the past 11 years I've built up with the staff here. Most have been here the whole time. They're friends and their family. We do stuff together. The people, the alumni who come back into town, the benefactors who make it possible, I've become friends with. And, and we're talking bonds of very, very deep friendship of people that you work with, but the reality is that you live with in a way. And so what I've noticed is that for myself, and I'm sure for a lot of the ministers that are here, the phrase in loco parentis, it's a Latin phrase that means in the place of parents. It used to be, some of you older people may remember that, uh, in the dorms, you used to have like a dorm mother who would live there, who would act in the loco parentis, in the place of your parents. They were there to watch over and guide and form. And, and so we're not just here, I'm not just here to give people pizza and to entertain them and to teach them, but to really be a parent, to form minds, hearts, and souls. We didn't talk about it much, but we had the five pillars of formation. We want you to come through here as a student to be intellectually formed, to be socially formed, to be able to pray, to be able to love, to be able to serve. We feed people here a lot. We're going to be talking about that tomorrow. It's something interesting that I've noticed as I was preparing for this. And sometimes, as the parentis, you've got a discipline. That particularly happens usually twice a year at the 9 p.m. Mass, whenever I just get fed up and just unload. But it's always funny. Have you ever been to that 9 p.m.? It happens twice a year, maybe I just get fed up and I unload. The collections always double. <laughs> when they, the next morning, Father, what happened at 9 p.m. Mass? The, the collection was bigger than the 10 p.m. Mass. Oh, I yelled at them. So Gwen, Gwen's, the, Gwen's the, the bookkeeper said, you should yell at the other basses too. But, <laughs> but the point is, is that I've realized in my own experience, and I think the focus missionaries, uh, our, our campus ministers, the staff who get to know the students, that the most effective thing 
it's not any teaching or disciplining, but simply to be a presence to love the students and the parishioners that come through. So many, I've seen over the years, maybe weren't loved well by their parents, struggle with their own identity. And so we try to image the love of the Father. I try to image the love of Christ so they will know themselves as sons and daughters. Oh, I can't forget, Dad has to pay the bills too. So that's why we talk about money. Because as you parents probably try to teach your kids, the food doesn't just descend from heaven. I don't go into the tabernacle and get money from it. Jesus is not an ATM machine. We depend on people's generosity. And so all of this makes us a family, but it makes me as the priest the father, the spiritual father, the head of the family. And so many people who passed through here over the course of the past 11 years my spiritual children, a deep connection. And so as a family, with me as the head, as the father, families go through different seasons of life. They have to stick together through the good and the bad, going experiences of the passion and the death, but also the resurrection. And so well, we've had our fair bit of trials here. Fortunately, not a significant tragedy but we've gone through several hurricanes. The flood of 2016, where so many people from the community went out and helped those who were affected, parishioners and otherwise. And we are a parish here. And so visiting the sick and doing funerals for people who I know and have come to love and have become friends uh, over the years being able to visit them in the hospital and the honor of being able to do their funerals. You know, the problems of 2018 and the renewals of the scandals and so much confusion in the minds and hearts of people. And of course, the past year, the coronavirus. It was a year, a year ago this week was when the world was normal last time. Again, Sister Marion was here. We were all having a good time, but everything was going to change. But as bad as things may have been, and there really haven't been that many bad things, nothing in the family compares, at least in my mind, to all of the fun and good times that we have had. So many memories, the retreats, the homecoming parades. Fortunately, none of our wisdom people ever threw dead squirrels off of the homecoming float or decided to throw paint on Dr. Savoy and the people over there like certain other organizations have done during my time here. Tailgating, the football games, Father Broussard in his red jacket as the dancing priest, all the different marriage gatherings we've had. It's not, it was defunct this year, but a group of us guys have had for eight years a fantasy football league where we'd sort of talk trash to each other before and after the masses, the fundraisers, the boiling bash, all the amazing speakers, Cardinal Dolan, Jacques Philippe, Sister Miriam, George Weigel, Father Mike. We even had last year, or the year before, a parish cocktail party. Who else does that? <laughs> Who else has that but a place that is a family? Sunday night bowling, the movie nights that we've had, a group of people over the course of the past 11 years, We've watched over 230 movies. But those are the big things, the great memories that I have and we've been talking about over the course of the past couple of weeks that I've been preparing for this mission. Everyone has their memories. But most of it's just the day-to-day. -day. It's like in your own family, seeing people, the joys and the sorrows. So much fun and the jokes and the memes and the pranks played. I'll share a few of my favorites. So I don't know how this began. Actually, I do know how it began. It began when I told a story, my first year here, about when I was crazy and in high school and college, I was saving a friend of mine who was drowning in a riptide. And maybe me and my buddy had been drinking too much at spring break, but we still went out there and rescued him. And then when I got back, I had a big red mark on my chest didn't know what it was, so I went to the dermatologist and she said, this is Dr. Adrian Stewart for those who remember her, Father, have you been to the beach lately? Yeah. You got stung by a Portuguese man of war. You didn't feel it? 
conversation into there. It must have been the adrenaline. So the next, about two days later, I walked in my office and there were about 10 little mobiles of Portuguese man of war. And I began the practice of every year for my birthday or whenever I would leave town of pranking and decorating my office. One time it was filled about halfway with balloons. One time they actually went to the direction of my office and put googly eyes everywhere. Probably the best was when they decided to take those little bitty dental cups. You know, you go to the dentist and you drink water and they filled them all up about halfway with water and put maybe 150 on my floor where I really couldn't get to my desk. And it was very funny, but until I said, you are gonna go pick up all this crap. I'm not doing this at all. They went in and picked it up, but it was completely worth it. I think one of my highlights, one of my biggest highlights, we'll probably talk about my last time, was a couple years ago, when I was browsing on Facebook and it was right around Halloween, some of y'all may remember this, and, and I saw that there was this clown in town that you pay her 30 bucks and she comes scare people. I said, that's the best 30 bucks I'll ever spend. <laughs> so I called her. I said, I want you to come scare some of the students. Um, but she said, so I was going to have her crawl on the roof and knock on the window of the Bible study upstairs. <laughs> and then run down the hall with a big bat, trying to scare some people. But anyhow, she ended up not being able to come in the evening when the Bible studies were there, so she had to come in the morning so we could only scare one person. But it was totally worth it. <laughs> Filmed it, and, and you could probably find it on YouTube. It's actually pretty funny. But probably the best was our good friend, Father Rene Pelsier, who, such a good heart, I don't know what made me decide to do it, but. I bought this thing called an Anoyatron, and it's this little round thing that you press the button, and it makes these random noises every 15 minutes. And so I set it to do, and I hid it in his room for about a month and a half. <laughs> to the point where he thought it was the air conditioning unit when I was out of town got Jean to call Butcher to come repair it. So Jean figured something was up and called me because she didn't want to pay a bunch of money to have him come out here for nothing. I said, no, it's a joke. Just tell him that the Butcher people came. Well, eventually it wouldn't go away and, and he went to Alaska with some of the students and I found out that he thought it was a ghost. <laughs> Oh boy, I love that. And so, <laughs> told the whole staff, we milked that for a while, but eventually one of the students who eventually became a religious sister who couldn't tell a lie told him, they tried to get me back by placing it in my room, but I mean, come on. So, I have not done that to him yet. That's pretty ruthless. I really thought that was fun. So all kinds of fun. Probably the best though was the, I guess I'd call them family vacations. Whenever we would go on a pilgrimage or trips, probably the best family vacation for those who were there was 2013. It was Seek 2013, and we took a bus trip to Orlando. And that's when Paul George and I, Paul, our old minister, was here. So many, it was basically, if I'm the father, it was like my two dads, that TV show or something. Paul and I were in charge of all of these students. And we had like 200 that came because we basically bribed students to come by telling them we'd take them to Disney World or Disneyland or whatever. And so well, they signed up for it. And we had the best time. And so many things from that, that trip, probably one of the best. We were all sitting around, hanging around. And I don't know what started this, but, but Paul could do toe touch. He'd jump up and he'd do toe touch. I tried, I couldn't really do it. Paul did it. And in the middle of everyone, just ripped his pants open. <laughs> and didn't have an extra pair of pants. Had to walk around with his cassons hanging out. He tied, his, he tied his sweater around his waist. And then, during the course of the time there, uh, we, were, we were heading back. And I, we'd, we'd spent the whole day at Disney World. And we wanted to watch the football games, but you couldn't. 
and I got tired of all Space Mountain, all that stuff. So we're riding back. I'm exhausted. It's going to be a 12-hour ride. And the bus drivers were a little weird. <laughs> Many of you don't know this on the trip, but they were drinking one night and called Paul and said some pretty rude things, which we thought were very, very funny. <laughs> you didn't know if they were pranking Paul or thinking they were calling their girlfriend. I don't know. We tried to see if we could get the guys to talk about it, but they wouldn't. And so I didn't feel like dealing with anything on the way back, so I said, hey, Paul, we're sitting in the front. I have an Ambien here. Look, a sleeping pill. Don't you dare take that pill! Popped it and basically fell asleep the whole entire time. The only time that I woke up was when Paul was talking to one of our students and talking about how he had been encouraging another student who, who's gone on to become pretty successful, but not really so much at the time. He was encouraging him to step up and take initiative, and she said he took initiative by asking me out. Boy, I woke up. <laughs> no, don't ever say yes to that. And then I went back to bed. <laughs> Paul was mad at me, though, because he said, I just leave it all that night, because those crazy bus drivers kept swerving in and out of the lanes, and I kept having to talk to them to keep them awake. Tough. <laughs> well, all that funny stuff, though, being here for 11 years, experiencing the family, the highs and lows, has formed me in a way that I think in another parish I never would have understood the meaning of spiritual fatherhood, of the paternity of a priest. When you live with your parishioners, it builds a different sort of relationship instead of just maybe talking to them five minutes after Mass. And not just for a few weeks, but for four years, sometimes five years. In one person's particular case, seven years. We'll talk about that on Wednesday. And so you share in life, and there's just this deeper intimacy that is created that actually is somewhat continued on after the students leave, or don't leave, as it were, that you don't have in a normal parish. And I try to explain this to other priests, and they think that I'm crazy. They don't know what it's like. I basically see people go from 18 to 21, 22. Sometimes they still like it like they're 18, but you see them grow up and to go through their deep pains and struggles and joys. I like a parent. I deal with sick kids sometimes. There have been several times that I've had to bring kids to the hospital. One time in Lourdes, France. <laughs> Two of them that got sick and I had to bring them to some hospital in France. It was the worst nightmare. Goodness gracious. And then, to have to protect the students. Over the years, there have been some crazies that have shown up here. Not ever putting physical threats, but, you know, one guy, I have some stories we'll tell later on. One guy showed up that another priest thought it was funny to tell him to come talk to me because the guy thought he was possessed by the devil, was not possessed by the devil. So I wasn't here, and so I said, Paul, I'm not here. You go talk to him. And Paul's like, okay, how are you doing? Have you been taking your medicine? No, I haven't. And then Paul says, well, maybe you should. And the guy goes, when you said that, I felt a beard come out of my face. <laughs> So, you know, like, but he thought that the devil was after him and he was going to cause some harm. And so, anyhow, all kinds of crazy stories that we need to be able to keep this a safe place for our students. But positively, outside of the funny stories, on a daily basis, being able to get to know hundreds of young people and to experience their love. There are no prejudices. Here I'm going to go way back to my first semester here. I got an anonymous letter. Anonymous letter saying, Father, you're going to drive all the students away. You're so mean, blah, blah, blah. And well, my policy is if you write me an anonymous letter, I'm going to read it. Um, and so I remember going to the students in the cafe, like three at the time. What do you all think of this? Say, Father, that woman's crazy. That's not true at all. And I went there and preached it. I never got another anonymous letter since. But it's this prejudices that sometimes adults can have that the young people simply don't, that openness to love. And my ability over time to be able to return it, to experience my own 
spiritual fatherhood is something I've learned and the fruitfulness of vocations and marriages and people having children and coming back for baptisms and so many experiencing their faith. And probably though the best example of this, and these are funny, but that, that you get to see me in the good times and the bad times in a way that you don't see in other parishes. And it hit me the other day, back in 2012, I'll start crying here, one of my very good friends got sick with cancer and, and for about five years I had to go through being there for her, doing her funeral and the grief afterwards. And I couldn't hide it, couldn't hide it. And so the students of that generation would see me and ask me, how am I doing? And the care they showed for me. Because unlike a normal priest, if I was going through something like that, well, I would just hide. I was in the parish. You couldn't do that. And it built a friendship and a relationship, even though we don't really talk about it much, that has lasted. That, that you don't normally get to experience with your priest. Because I would share what I was going through. I couldn't, I couldn't help it. And then that's a touching time. But then you know, sometimes you'd see me with a bad temper. Blow up a lot. But the story I always tell, and this was such a decisive moment for me, it was the stress of homecoming. We used to have these homecoming floats. Glitter. Everywhere. <laughs> and they do all this stuff, and it was in Jean-Marc Hall, and one year I wanted it cleaned up. Dad wanted it cleaned up because there was a wedding coming up, and we had the party. And I was telling the students, if y'all don't clean it up by tomorrow, we're going to have some problems. I'm going to LMS. I'm going to lose my stuff. And we're going to have some consequences. And I said, I better not see Mr. Wayne, who was the custodian at the time, and they're cleaning it up. So later that afternoon, I walked in, and what did I see? Ooh. Saw Mr. Wayne clean it up. And, and when I get mad, whoop, the flip, the switch, flip. Storm into the office. And I said, get me the number of so-and-so, the woman who was in charge of it, the young student. Father, she, she can't talk. She's, uh, she has laryngitis. She doesn't need to talk. She needs to listen. <laughs> I got on the phone. I got her voice. I said, Katie, you better have you people here cleaning this mess by the end of the day, or there's going to be no Valentine's dance. And no dinner or whatever, you know, whatever kind of punishment. But then my thirst for blood was not over. <laughs> so I walked into the hall and I found the second person in charge who was in a meeting. You, come here. <laughs> so she walks out of the office and I walk into the, the, the Jean-Marc Hall and said, Why is all of this poo all spread over here? This is ridiculous. You're going to clean this up, or we're not having a dance. Do you understand me? Yes, Father. She started crying. <laughs> About an hour later, there were 40 students in there <laughs> cleaning up. So anyhow, I felt bad. I blew up. couldn't control my temper. So the next day, I found Olivia uh, sitting. It was the one, a second one I got mad at. Of course, there are 500 Olivias that have come through here. <laughs> and she was sitting in the hall, and, and I, I said, Olivia, I gave her a little action figure of Darth Vader. <laughs> she said, Father, why are, you, why are you giving me Darth Vader? I said, because you felt the power of the dark side of the force yesterday. <laughs> uh, I, I'm really sorry. And she said, Father, don't apologize. You were just being dad. And it struck me. If I would have done that in any other parish, I'd have been called into the bishop's office and defrocked. <laughs> but because of the intimacy and the mercy that's shown, I was just being dad. And so that's kind of where the term of endearment, Father, you're just being dad. And so that showed me too, though, that a family, a home, isn't just a place of safety and refuge. It is a place of mercy. The prodigal son coming back into the father's house, received into the mercy of the father. Heaven's a place of mercy. Our parish should be a place of mercy, a place of love, 
St. Therese, of course, I can't go throughout a retreat without quoting Therese. She says, true charity consists of bearing all our neighbor's defects, not being surprised by their weakness, but edified at their smallest virtues. Now, I don't have physical, biological kids. I don't have a wife. Some will say I have eight wives who work in the front office. <laughs> but I understand you have to forgive people you live with. There's a mercy there. You get angry, blow up, but then you forgive. And it builds. It's like when things break, the bone comes back, and it comes back even stronger. You're forced to do that. And you're forced to face your own weakness and your own brokenness. Maybe that's why confession is so popular over here. We have so many long lines, and we have an hour before every Mass. Because there is a deep understanding from the community that is created of the need for mercy and the need for forgiveness. And it is. I'm happy to hear confessions. And I'm so excited. This is going to be my last Triduum here, where over the years past, between myself and the associate, get ready, and Father Champagne, we hear over the course of the Triduum over 350 confessions. People come from all over. And so I'm really appreciative, I'll say this now, of the reciprocity of this. I want to thank everyone who, like Olivia, has seen my bad parts that I may have hurt unintentionally, hopefully. Uh, thank you for forgiving me and showing me as a father mercy in regards to any way that I may have failed over my time here. But what makes Our Lady of Wisdom like a family and unique again amongst parishes is that the children grow up and leave. Thank God, but <laughs> they leave the house. They leave the home. So in most parishes, and I've been a pastor in two other parishes before this, parishioners are a constant. You see them grow older, but you don't really see new ones because so often the kids are off at college and you don't get to know them. But here, every year, and really every four years, there are a bunch of new names and faces that I've got to try to remember. I was much better at this than Father Rene Pelsier. So much better. And then when they leave, you establish a relationship and you recognize and you make that connection with them. So I've worked with hundreds, if not thousands, of students plus parishioners and benefactors and alumni. And the students, I've been so proud of so many of them who have left, who have become confident and faith-filled. Some of them, like Matthew Townsend, have become legends. Eleven years later, still talking about Matthew Townsend at the retreat. And to see them practice their faith. And I'd be also, I love it, I'm going to admit this, graduation, when our Raging Cajun Catholics beat the other ministries on campus with outstanding grads in the different departments in the overall university. Yes. Love it. <laughs> love it. It's going to happen again this year, too. I'm so excited. So excited. And so we provide a lot here, wisdom. But the real mission isn't what happens here. The success of the ministry and a campus ministry or wisdom comes from, from our mission statement to form lifelong disciples of Christ. The fact that I can see so many former graduates here who still practice their faith, who still believe is a sign that we are bearing fruit. It's the measure of a ministry of who continues to practice their faith, to follow Christ in the years after they leave. And so, even though they leave, wisdom remains a home for so many people. In fact, a lot of times, people who graduate come back to wisdom as a home. They become parishioners. And in fact, a lot of the times, I hear those who leave and go back to other parishes. It's a struggle. This is not community. There's not connection. The preaching's not as good. The music's not as good. <laughs> they don't have a coffee shop in their place. It is, they come back for weddings and baptisms. 
and they still support with class gifts over the years. Each class has pledged tens of thousands of dollars. It's been enjoyable having little competitions over the years for that. And to be able to see classes from decades past come back, people who've come, they were here in the 40s, the 50s, and 60s, tell me the stories of wisdom. And I think for me, seeing that is the greatest blessing, to see the faith grow, but more importantly, to, 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 to know, I've really begun realizing this, the students who were 18, 19 years old when I got here are 30 now. And I've seen them grow up and to become responsible adults. And even though, yes, I'm still the priest and the spiritual dad, over the decade we've become friends. A friendship that I hope and pray will last my lifetime, or at least until they become millionaires and can maybe have a beach house in Florida and one maybe in the mountains that I can go retire at. <laughs> Just remember that for those of you, at least marry a millionaire if you don't become a millionaire. And to know that they're always welcome to come back, to go have a cup of coffee, to see their face at mass, the wisdom still remains their home. But of course, after so many years of witnessing people leave their home that wisdom is built, it is now my time in just about four months for me to leave home. And while I am stuck in the present moment right now, I do indeed think about what will come in the years, but reflecting on so many memories. I've never been at a parish for this long, and particularly one that's vibrant and have made so many friends and relationships. And I'll be honest, I reflect as much as what might be coming on what will happen when I leave. Particularly, what will my legacy be like? Over my years here, meeting alumni who've come back for football games or for weddings or for just visits on campus, there is one name that is mentioned the most. The previous priests and pastors outnumbered easily 20 to 1. And that name is Monsignor Alexander Segur, who was here in the 50s and 60s, who's the one who built the side of the church. But he's also the one that made at the time this the largest Newman club in the nation. He was here at a time when campus, when there was so much tension, racial tension, that was happening here at the university. And he was here for 12 years the longest pastor, and it's amazing to think the impact he still has 50, if not 60 years, even possibly 70 years later, that his ministry continues to bear fruit. I, when I leave, will be the second longest reigning pastor at 11 years. I am no Monsignor Segur, but I wonder what they will be talking about with me, if they'll even be talking about in 50 years. If indeed I am being talked about, I hope I am remembered for the good that I tried to do rather than my weaknesses and failures. And so in conclusion for tonight, I can't mention a Lady of Wisdom without talking a little bit about Our Lady, the title Seat of Wisdom. Mary and devotion to Mary does play and has always played an integral part here at Wisdom. And I will say what I think is probably the most significant aspect of our success here at Our Lady of Wisdom was the Marian consecration of the campus and the students in November of 2011. Some of you may remember that. Deacon Cody was, Cody was here preaching and we had probably like over 100 people come up and sign their Marian consecration after four weeks. And we took the Eucharist and the Statue of Mary throughout the campus and the quad, I consecrated the campus to Our Lady. I think that's what really impacted a lot. Probably, we should probably renew that consecration. And so the real inspiration for this mission wasn't me just wanting to get up here and tell funny stories, 
but was something that I noticed that I never noticed before about the litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Some of you may know it as the litany of Loretta. It's that prayer where you kind of go on and on and on and recite a bunch of titles of Mary. But I noticed how many of those titles of Mary referred to buildings or containers or enclosed spaces, spiritual vessel, vessel of honor, singular vessel of devotion, tower of David, tower of ivory, house of gold, ark of the covenant, refuge for sinners. And so that Mary was that container, that house for Jesus, the house that wisdom built with the seven pillars. The most important part of that enclosed space, besides her womb that housed the Son of God, it would be her immaculate heart, her pure heart filled with the Spirit. And that that's wisdom's true home. It's within the immaculate heart of Mary. I preached about it at Easter of last year. Just as John took Mary into his home, it was reciprocated. Mary took John and all of us into her home, into the purity and the safety of the refuge of her immaculate heart. And so my prayer for this mission is that we, of course, will give thanks to God for the home that we have here, but that we can find refuge in Our Lady's heart and that by conforming our hearts to hers and her sons, that our heart can become a home for others. And so tomorrow, the theme of the topic will be the second part of the phrase, which I noticed focuses on and centers on the thing that is almost a thread of continuity throughout my 11 years here. Probably the most important thing or things outside of Jesus, even though it connects to Jesus, that we have here at Wisdom. And that's eating and drinking. <laughs> Almost everything we do connects back to food or drink. So I want to reflect a bit on that in the physical sense, hopefully tell some funny stories, and also the deeper spiritual sense. And so I want to close with a prayer before I tell you what we're going to be doing afterwards. And it is a prayer um, to God, but through the intercession of Our Lady Seat of Wisdom. So pray this prayer together. God of wisdom, on your desire to restore us to your friendship after we had lost it by sin, you chose the Blessed Virgin Mary as the seat of your wisdom. Grant through her intercession that we may not seek the wisdom of the proud, but with humility treasure your revealed wisdom. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.